I think he just got circumcised. Look, South Africa, one millionth voluntary medical male circumcision. Oh, he looks way too happy to just have his dick cut off. No way. I, I was super stoked when I got circumcised. Tell me about it. I was 12. You were 12? Between 10 and 12. I no forget. way. I swear to God. Really? Yes. Come on. I got circumcised later in life. <laughs> no way. I swear. You're a late life super <laughs> circumcision. It was super my... circumcision. That's yeah. when it happens when your dick's bigger. I got a super circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> they had they had to For cut an extra. extra thirty nine cents. You yeah. Can super circumcise me. For an extra thirty nine <laughs> cents a month. Are you kidding me? They cut more off. I wish I should have taken a before and after. People love a before and after on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, uh, how it started. How it's... <laughs> what is it? How it started. How it's going. How it's going. <laughs> it's just like, how it started. It's my uncircumcised penis. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Wiki University, where we dive down the rabbit hole of Wikipedia to explore the sum of all human knowledge. I'm Kyle Berseth, Dean of this fine institution, and as always, I'm joined by our summa cum laude, Jason Nunez. Woo! College, college, college. Hell yeah, baby. I'm ready to learn. I love books. I love campus life. I love Greek life. That's why I signed up for Wiki University's 10-year program. Class is in session. Smell that, folks? It's a new episode of Wiki University coming at you live. Coming at you pre-recorded. Yeah. No, it's right now. It's live. It's live for us. When they listen to it. it oh be... yeah, it is live for them to like. They're living their lives. I would hope so. If they're in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you okay. Guys... <laughs> what a riff. It was a good riff. I give it a five out of fifteen. <laughs> Oh, the 15 scale. Yeah, the riffs, yeah, the yeah. riffs, riffs go by uh, scales of 15. Like multiple music. scales. <laughs> multiple scales. <laughs> like music, right? Laughs, a five. Idea, uh, a seven. And then legs? Legs. Like, uh, yeah. like it's got to have legs? Like it's got to have some legs. You know? I don't even remember what we were riffing on. No oh, one, live no versus pre-edited and people living in the moment? Mm. That's got legs. If you're not listening to Wiki U, Wiki U, you're not living. Matthew McConaughey said that. I thought it was Shawshank. I thought it was... Uh, <laughs> Shawshank said that. Yeah, wait, no, what do you say? If quit quit being easy and quit living. Don't, no. don't be easy unless you're living. Get you're, busy living get busy or, li- get, or busy get busy dying. dying. Okay, <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, get busy, listen to a podcast, or die. Okay. Uh, so do you want to dive in here, Jason? Let's dive in. I'm very excited about my topic. My topic for today is the Battle of Tsushima. Now, I... That sounds like a sushi restaurant. I mean, it is. Is it really? Yeah, in LA. Dude, I just had a great accidental... Sushi? Pretty... You had accidental sushi? I didn't have accidental sushi, but I had a decent name for a seafood restaurant today. And what is that? Because I accidentally typed in... Beverly Gills. Ooh, that sounds like the 
most trashiest place in Beverly Hills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that sounds like the trashiest restaurant Dude, there. <laughs> Beverly Hills is trashy. Wait, did Beverly Hills suddenly turn middle class? N- no. It's like people that have bad taste. Like new money. Yeah, new money exactly. Goes there. They're just like, Gucci's good. I'll buy something I'll gaudy buy the Gucci house. and disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything... And then I'll, then I'll eat lunch at Beverly Gills. Everything's plated and uh, in the a reservation for two at Beverly Gills. Exactly. Beverly Gills seafood and, and, and what else? Like, and seafood. No, no, but it's like got more stuff like seafood and tacos and pizza. No, yeah, no, don't yeah. trash my, <laughs> don't ruin my restaurant. It's already garbage. Let's be honest. Hey, someone run with this idea. Run where? Run to Beverly run away, Hills. Run away from it. And establish Beverly Gills. I mean, you say that, but look at the Cheesecake Factory. What do they do? They crank out cheesecake. Cheesecake Factory is the most shittiest place ever. Exactly, but super successful. Are they? Yeah. I don't know. I My topic seen... today is Cheesecake Factory. I want to see their tax re- their taxes. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> they got a tighter they got a tighter hold in their tax documents than Trump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Huge write-offs because they gotta Huge they gotta write-off. write off the all that cheese. Well, the overhead on the factory. Yeah, the factory is factories is ain't within. cheap. Well, I thought the factory is in the restaurant. There's I know, no like, but it's factory. a big write-off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you spoken to your accountant or their accountant? Their accountant. Okay. Yeah, and also, you know, I don't just have great ideas about Beverly Gills. I also take white bones on some of the nicest vacations ever. You know, a lot of people go. Ooh, like Maui? They, they want to go Thailand? on like winery tours yeah. or they go to like distillery tours. I took white bones on a cheesecake factory tour. To see all, like, meaning at one cheesecake factory and you toured all the cheesecakes or. You get to tour the factory. Really? Yeah. Where the cheese comes from? The cheese and the cake. Where's it? Where's headquarters at? Anaheim, Long, Long Beach. <laughs> I think it is like they did start around Long here. Long Beach, Anaheim, in like Burbank or uh, yeah, yeah, or or you could have said anything. Torrance, <laughs> but doesn't it have the? Yeah, I like Torrance, man. It might have, uh, dude. I'm sorry, we went on a tangent already. Fifteen out of fifteen, but Cheesecake Factory might have started like by Beverly Hills. You give Cheesecake Factory fifteen out of fifteen. No, I give this riff 15 out of 15. Oh, okay, okay. I don't even remember what we were talking about. Sushi. All right, back on the battle of Tsushima. Yeah, battle of Tsushima. I played this battle uh, for PS4, and I beat it on the difficulty hard, but I'm going to beat it again. Hold with... on, hold on, hold on. You're speaking Tsushima to me. What are you talking about? Yeah. You, what do you mean you played the battle on PS4. Well, I know the land. I didn't play the battle, but I do have the game Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, it's the game is Ghosts of Sh- Tsushima. Yes, which I believe well, takes thank place in God the, that's not your topic. In the same place. Okay. But obviously it does not have to do with that ba- battle. That's pretty Although interesting there, there that was they a made little, a game based on that. There was a little mini uh mini game where I had to kill a bunch of Russos. Russians? Yeah. Ruskies? Yeah. Russos? Yeah. Whoa. Which I didn't even know, like, Russians, like, fucked with the Japanese. And then when we get to this oh, topic, yeah. 
they Big didn't time. they didn't fuck with each other. They they hate yeah, each I other. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, everyone kind of hates the Russians. You heard it here first. You know, when you when you grow up in in uh public school here in the United States, you don't get a lot of detail about what happened over on the other side of the world. Like no. very little to none. I would well, say none. I would put my money on none. I mean, the detail I would say is that we won. That's about yeah. We beat the Russians. We beat the Japanese. It's kind of like a March Madness of countries they right and russia that's, that's played its japan appeal. that's its and appeal we dunked on them i that's the appeal of to me of war and specifically big ones like you know the the one where the world is mm-hmm. involved yeah but i do like me a good organized like red team versus blue team you know which I mean? means no i don't know what you mean like the Vin, fact, you mean one on one, a straightforward. Well, just the fact that they're like you know they were all decked out in their type of uniform from their country. Who's there in this situation? Both, both the the Ruskies and oh, okay. the Japanese. Yeah, and back in the day, they got more decked, and that's what I'm saying. And to me, like visually, they're so different. They, oh, they yeah. would have these very different styles of armor and fighting and weaponry. Mm. And to me, that that's like. Something cool about that. Something about like you ever seen that show? Like something about warriors. Like, like there's a show called Something About Warriors. There's a show called Something it's About where Warriors. Warriors get cum stuck in their hair and make new hairstyles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben Stiller hosts it. Uh, it's no, it's a show. I forget what it was called. Something about warriors. And like it literally, no joke. This was a whole show. It like did a CGI replica of a fight between like let's say like a Viking. And a colonial uh, American, you know. So this was a March Madness of Warriors. Yes. Did they go on? Did they actually do a March Madness? Six seasons. Yeah. (laughs) Six seasons in a movie. Who won? Modern day (laughs) drones. Yeah, modern day drones. (laughs) And uh, robots win again. Oh, robots will always win. The automatic weapons win. And that's, you know, and it was funny because they did have some of those sometimes where it had like. Uh, an indigenous person like myself mm-hmm. with like a bow and arrow, yeah, versus like a guy with a musket mm. and like who you know sings yeah. it out faster. And it's like, well, the musket wins. Musket's gonna win. It's well, more the, musket versus bow and arrow. Not all the time. You'll be surprised. That's what I'm saying. Auto, when automatic weapons came in, that was the game changer. Guns, germs, and steel. And speaking of game changers, that's what interests me about the Battle of Tsushima. It was a it was a real game changer unbeknownst to anybody during that time but it kind of like set the stage for later wars or at least powers being divided for the for them to be able to yeah oh yeah 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 stuff like that so read so let's read away well wait i gotta tell you about my topic and we got five battles number one of all time yeah Top five, top five. Wow, we're going to have a March Madness of battles. Yeah. We got a lot of... March is going to be a big month for us. That's a real battle right there. Um, So my topic, Jason, I texted you and Lizard today about possibly taking a tour of Earthbag structures, and it'd be like a day trip. Okay. A little wiki you field trip, maybe. Is that what it was? That's what it is, okay. yeah. So anyway, there's a place out there called Cal Earth, and they teach you how to make these Earthbag houses. Where you basically fill up bags with dirt. Like composting? No, not like composting. Like uh, dirt, dirt. Okay. And you might even mix some cement in with them, but uh, to get it a more structurally sound thing. Fertilizer? No, not fertilizer. Okay. 
So you just fill up bags with dirt. That's all you got to know so far. You don't have to. You don't have to know what kind of dirt yet, Jason. Okay. Anyway, and they pile them. You have to have a degree for this. Well, you can get it at Cal Earth. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think it's that hard. Cal Earth University. Maybe. We should buy them out. We should. They should be sister <laughs> school. I don't want to become an Earth Bag University. <laughs> yeah, it rhymes too much like Dirt Bag University. Exactly. Yeah, oh, true. now I'm kind of in. Yeah. So anyway, they pile these things on, and they make structures out of them. And I'm like, I got a lot of dirt here on my property. Maybe You're I should... You're dirt. You're a dirt bag. Yeah, I'm a little... No. But then I, I went down a rabbit hole on Wikipedia. I was like, oh, maybe earth bag will be my topic today. But then I found this other thing that I didn't even know about called rammed earth construction. Ram? Rammed. Rammed earth. Yeah, like smashing down, ramming it. Like tamp like tamping things down? Exactly. Tamping earth down. Tamping earth down? Yeah. For what purpose? To build a structure out of it. It's basically made out of dirt. I I mean we Wait, can the read structure about is it. dirt? I just found out about it today, but it's kinda like Adobe bricks. I only have Adobe Premiere. Anyway, so my topic today, I'm curious about it. I just learned about it today a little bit. I haven't Dove in. I started watching videos, of course, YouTube videos. I hopped right off of Wikipedia. And so my topic's rammed earth. The Los Angeles rammed earths. Yeah. So do you want to start at the Battle of Tsushima or rammed earth? I say we start with rammed earth and, and let's ram through it. I feel like um, going to an event, a war or a battle is... Easier than finding rammed earth. Right. Then, you yeah, know, you could go and, to construction and techniques. And finding some dirt bag uh, to lend you a hand. And... All right. Let me s- read a little bit of the Battle of Tsushima. Please. And then we'll head on over to rammed earth. Would you like me to read it? You can try. I'll, I'll try. Have you best. been taking <laughs> WikiU Reading 101? Yeah, night, night classes. <laughs> oh, you're not going to learn shit there. It's ASMR. It's just... Uh, Somebody talking to me slowly. All right, go to it. I'll put a, a timer on the clock Let's here. do it. All right. The Battle of Tsushima, also known as the Battle of Tsushima Strait and the Naval Battle of the Sea of Japan, in Japan was a major naval battle fought between Russia and Japan during the Russo-Japanese War. It was naval history's first and last the si- Ooh, first and last. First and last? No, hats off to that. I like wow. that. First but- and last decisive sea battle fought by modern steel battleship fleets. So we're talking like battleship, like where the game comes from. Like Wait, that old so school battle. They've never done like another in-person battle? What? I guess? like Naval history's first and last decisive sea battle. So... So the, after that, they're just like, let's launch some planes and go shoot. Or submarines were probably shooting these other. A battle, though. A ba- yeah, I think. I think because of like the sh- the ship technology, right? You know what I mean? They, they don't have was, to battle an, side by side. It was an actual battleship. It wasn't like yeah. like a what's that? master and commander. Master, I knew, yeah. yeah, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. of exactly that. Which, by the way, great movie. I, I know, we it. talked about it. You've talked about it. You say it's better than Gra- Gladiator, so I did watch no, it again. Didn't. You did, on the podcast. Better than Gladiator? That's what you said on this very podcast. I don't know that I said better than Gladiator. I will pull up the tape. I might have cut it out because it was such an offensive take. P- pull up the tape. I don't think I said it was 
but I think you, you try to convince me is better. No, dude, Gladiator is one of my favorite movies of all time. Gladiator ha- is better than Master. <laughs> I say Master Commander is fucking dope as fuck. But anyways, that's besides the point. So anyways, because, yeah. Wait, so just because of that comment, I went back and rewatched Master and Commander. Good, right? I mean, it's a good movie. It's a very yeah, good movie. But it's no Gladiator. It's no glad. It's no gladiator. Can no. I just say though, this battle, it sounds like the Russians and the Japanese just got hold of modern ships and were like, "How do these work? Let's try like the old ones." And by the right, and by the time they tried it out, it's like, this, "I don't think this is gonna work, fellows." Yeah, yeah there's no cannons on these. Right, <laughs> they're just shooting machine guns into each what other. What I found more more interesting, almost, is the second fact that is. That's um that this this battle was the first naval battle in in um in history. Oh wait, no, the first naval battle in which wireless telegraphy, which is just radio. So this is the first naval battle in which radio played a critical, important role. Mm. So before they we used, you know, send a bird out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or the tin cans. On boat. <laughs> yeah, long strings. <laughs> that's a long string. They had a string to shore. And uh, let's see. And the last thing um, of this paragraph, it says, it has been uh, characterized as the dying echo of the old era. For the last time in the history of naval warfare, ships of the line of a beaten fleet surrendered on the high seas. Yar. Well, let's go to rammed earth. I would really love to get to the Battle of Tsushima without going through Japan or Russia like the articles, because we've done them a number of times now. Okay, yeah. If we can, if we can go like through wireless telegraphy, whatever. Let's Great. give it a shot. Yeah, radio. It's a challenge. All right, rammed earth is a technique for constructing foundations, floors, and walls using natural raw materials such as earth, chalk, lime, or gravel. It is an ancient method that has been revived recently as a sustainable building method. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's we're going to go back to that. Like, I just saw Dune. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, that's what the future holds for us. Like, just, we're going to be a bunch of sand people. I think rammed earth techniques or earth bag techniques or these, like, adobe bricks, that'll end up being used on other space colonies. It sounds like earth bag is, like, the proper nomenclature for dirt bag. You keep saying that, but no, it's just earth bag. I keep saying that? Yeah, you've said dirt bag numerous times now. Every no. time I say earth bag, you're like, dirt bag? Who's the dirt bag now? Edifices formed of rammed earth are on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, too say much that again? Snow. You can say that again. No. You, no, you need to say that again. You, I can't go. I can't let you go out like that. What are you talking saying about? Saying Antarctica in that fashion. Antarctica? <laughs> oh, God. You sound like like a tardy third grader. Oh, how do you use Antarctica? Antarctica. Well, you're saying it wrong. In oh, a so ra- you, Antarctica? Antarctica. It sounds like you have an ant named Arctica. I do. Hey, Antarctica. Antarctica has come to Thanksgiving Sometimes dinner. I pronounce it Antarctica. Uh, <laughs> that's because you're trash. No, aunt is very sophisticated. Antarctica. Yeah. Anyway, edifices formed of rammed earth are on every continent except Antarctica in a range of environments including temperate, wet, semi-arid desert, montane, and tropical regions. The availability of suitable soil 
and a building design appropriate for local climatic conditions are the factors that favor its use. Let's read about the process here. <laughs> yeah, let's dive in into the process of this. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of in the name. Right, I know. But you can see the picture here. There's like forms and stuff. But yeah, then they're then, really ramming. They're really having a good time there. Then down in this other photo, there's just a bunch of old women. It looks like smashing earth with a stick. So it must be pretty easy. It just looks like they have. They can get a handle of the details. They get in there and like really. They compact it. Exactly. Yeah. Making rammed earth involves compacting a damp mixture of subsoil that has suitable proportions of sand, gravel, clay, and stabilizer, if any, into a formwork. So that's it. That's that's how you do it. Historically, additives such as lime or animal blood were used to stabilize it. I bet animal blood also maybe provides like some sort of waterproofing a little bit. You know how they use like animal fat for waterproofing? I wonder. But what would the blood do? I don't know. Probably keep the evil spirits of water away. What, what if that was that like glue back in the day? Like maybe. Because oh, how else would you man. get glue? They didn't know you could grind up a horse. I think they did. I think that happened pretty early on. But not someone to use ground it, as it up glue. and ate it, and they were like, "My insides feel sticky." Oh. <laughs> yeah. And they just shit out a whole a whole horse. <laughs> yeah, it pieces back together inside of them. Comes out hoof first. Oh, I just picture like uh, the ter- Terminator Two, like it just <laughs> comes back. Yeah, as yeah. A horse. <laughs> yeah, but it's all like digested meat. Why didn't the T One Thousand turn into turn a horse? into a horse? And so people, so like John Connor would have been like, "Whoa, is that a fucking horse?" And then it just like turned. It just stabs him with a horse hoof, a pointy horse hoof. That you mean a unicorn? He should have yeah. turned into a unicorn. Yes, he should have been a unicorn. Yeah. Horse to unicorn. Horse horse to unicorn. <laughs> I heard that got cut from the script. That's in the director's cut where the T one thousand is a unicorn for part of the movie. Horse to unicorn is definitely a porno I've seen. <laughs> Stop searching. It's not searching. <laughs> I have so many tabs open right now. All right. Uh Soil mix is poured into the formwork to a depth of 4 to 10 inches and then compacted to approximately 50% of its original volume. The soil is compacted iteratively in batches or courses so as to gradually erect the wall up to the top of the formwork. Tamping was historically manual with a long ramming pole and was very laborious, but modern construction can be made less so by employing pneumatically powered tampers. After a wall is completed, it is sufficiently strong to immediately remove the formwork. This is necessary if the surface texture is to be applied, for example, wire brushing, carving, or mold impression, because the walls become too hard to work after approximately one hour. Wow. This is crazy to me that they can just build houses out of dirt. In one hour. That's the kind of strength these indigenous people have. In modern rammed earth buildings, the walls are constructed on top of conventional footings or a reinforced concrete slab base. The construction of an entire wall begins with a temporary frame, which is the formwork, which is usually made of wood or plywood, blah, blah, blah. Let's see the characteristics here. The compressive strength of rammed earth is dictated by factors such as soil type, particle size, distribution, amount of compaction, 
moisture content of the mix, and type slash amount of stabilizer used. Well-produced cement stabilized rammed earth walls can be anywhere between 5 to 20 MPA. I don't know what that is, but strength. What's a compressive strength? I feel like I have that. You feel like you have, because you're like kind of short and and strong? Because I pump heavy weights all the time and it just, yeah, it shrinks me. It shrinks you? Yeah, because the heavier weights I lift, the more it compacts me. (laughs) Explain? That's what my mom used to tell me. She's like, hey, don't squat because you're going to get shorter. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, hey, don't lift weights. Don't lift weights above your head or you will get shorter. Your mom's theories on life can be applied in a lot of ways, but it also sounds like maybe some people she knew that were weightlifting had osteoporosis. Yeah, Yeah, she knew uh, professional weightlifters with osteoporosis. Who just didn't drink milk. Yep. Anyway, I don't know what compressive strength really is other than I think when dirt... Do you still drink milk? No, only if I'm having a cookie. (laughs) Only if you're having a cookie. Yeah, pretty much. I, I do have a bunch of oat milk. Around the house right now. Around the house? What well, you don't have to refrigerate it, so I got one you in don't? the fridge, and the rest is out. Yeah, around. The rest is floating around. I got oat milk. Like in your pipes? It's surrounding you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you turn on my faucet, oat milk comes out. Well, you have an oat milk uh, koi pond? Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's right. <laughs> Those fish are stinking. They're dead. <laughs> they stink because they're dead. You decided to make up your own Beverly Gills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been harvesting them. That's why I want to come up with a Beverly Gills restaurant because I got all these dead koi. The all these. clock is ticking. Um, so we're not going to comprehensive strength? Compressive. I want to compre- learn more. I want to know more about comprehensive strength. Yeah, that sounds boring <laughs> as fuck, dude. What more do you want to learn about? Temping down dirt. Yeah, well, I'm curious. All right, one significant benefit of rammed earth is its high thermal mass. Mass like brick or concrete, it absorbs heat during the day and releases heat at night. This action moderates daily temperature variations and reduces the need for air conditioning and heating. See, it's a good thing, Jason. We just talked about earlier this week how your place and my place here in LA gets cold at night, and then heats up in the afternoon and you got to put on layers you got to take off layers layer up baby so if you had a rammed earth wall facing the sun it would like keep the temperature a little more in between the lakers should have been named the layers los angeles layers (laughs) they do love dressing up for that walk through the uh, walk to the locker room what's a laker a Laker is, is just someone that hangs out at a lake, like a drunk uncle. Well, it's named after the Minnesota Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers started in Minnesota. Oh, is that right? It's the land of ten thousand lakes, and that's what it's called. Wow. And that's why they just kept really the name. Stuck to it. That's yeah. yeah. That's a shame. Layers was right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers are fashionistas. Like I'm just saying, once you move to LA, the one thing you learn and you learn quick is get some layers on you. Bro. Exactly, a get hoodie. Some layers on you. Yeah. <laughs> so rammed earth can effectively regulate humidity if unclad walls containing clay are exposed to an internal space. All right, let's go to the environmental effects and sustainability. Edifices of rammed earth are more sustainable and environmentally friendly than other building techniques that use more cement and other chemicals. Because rammed earth edifices use locally available materials, they usually have low 
bodied energy and generate very little waste. The soils used are typically subsoil, which can serve the topsoil for agriculture. When the soil excavated in preparation for a foundation can be used, the cost and energy consumption of transportation are minimal. Rammed earth is probably the least environmentally detrimental construction material and technique that is readily and commercially available today to construct solid edifices. You know, shit, it's dirt. It's just there. That is pretty interesting, though. Because I think if you asked people what type of construction causes the least damage to the environment, most people would not even know this is a type of construction. Sure. Yeah, right. Most people. I'm not most people. Hey, this is a learning university. (laughs) I don't think you would have gotten that right either. I don't think you would have guessed. If you gave me a shovel and some dirt and you say build me a house, I would have gotten it down in a couple days. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you would have. I think I totally would. Yes. (laughs) I think I think maybe you would have I don't think you would have a rammed earth structure. I think maybe you would have like a mud hut structure where it's like what you're, you call me? you're slapping on. <laughs> yeah, mud hut does sound like a slur. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Jason? I've been holding back a little while. Yeah. You are a mud hut. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree with the slur. I just wanted to hear it come out of your mouth. Somebody believed that. All right, rammed earth can contribute to the overall energy efficiency... Oh, yeah, not only that, you don't have to heat and cool the structure once it's built as much. Let me ask, how? what's the, uh, can I get like a, you know, like a two bathroom, one bedroom type of hut? Like, what's the bathroom situation? Yeah, this isn't even a hut. I'm I, guessing it doesn't have pipes and like running water, does if you, it? The structure itself, you add pipes. Pipes aren't made of rammed earth. You lay some pipe? You lay pipe. Okay. Yeah. I did get, do a quick Google search, and it does seem like rammed earth, because it's so labor-intensive, it does cost a bit to build. There are companies in California that do rammed earth structures. But it's, like you said, it's tough work, so you know you got to get yeah. a couple of bros out there. Here are the disadvantages. <laughs> yeah, you got to get the frat out. You got to get the fucking Greek <laughs> life fraternity out there. Give them some beers. Get oh, them yeah. a case. And oh. just tell them to start ramming. Yeah. They'll and look. they'll be like, I thought we were doing a different type of ramming when you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you lure them with the, you know, 32 pack of White Claw. Exactly. Disadvantages. Building a strong rammed earth will require good knowledge and understanding of soil types. A number of factors influence the strength and durability of rammed earth structures, which need rigorous quality checks. So you got to have a nerd on site. Rammed earth walls require additional insulators uh, in colder climates, so great for California, though. Although rain won't wash away a rammed earth wall, they need overhang roof protection to keep walls safe against erosion. Yeah, erosion is pretty bad if your house is made of dirt. Yeah. Building rammed earth is a labor-intensive process. It may be expensive in certain situations. Rammed earth buildings might take more to get approved by building authorities, uh, bankers, and insurers. Once a wall is built, it cannot be easily corrected like brickwork. All right. Oh, build that wall. Oh, well, there's a section of the Great Wall of China that's rammed earth. Look at that. That's pretty cool. So it's been around. Look at this. Look at this. This is rammed earth. That's a rammed earth house? That looks like a... This is a plantation in South Carolina. Colonial house, yeah. 
That's wild. Wow. And th- look at this church. I bet the people who build it weren't treated that Come nice. on. This is another. Wow. The the soil in South Carolina must be good. Also, they probably. This is just before the Civil War. So they probably had slave labor, which is the, you know, one of the detriments of rammed earth is it costs a lot because of the labor. But they had slave labor. So probably pretty they cheap. Had free labor. They had free labor, exactly. Whoa, I do see World War Two here. We've been to World War Two. Whoa. Interest in Ram Earth declined after World War Two. Probably because all those dudes were chilling in Earth bunkers and were like, This uh, Well, it wasn't making people any money. That's the thing. World War Two came along and it's like, Oh, where where's the money at? Oh, and steel and, mm. and all these other new New things that you can make weapons with. Well, when the cost of modern construction materials decreased, so wood got cheaper, steel got cheaper. Uh, yeah, after World War II, they weren't collecting all the steel uh, around the neighborhood to melt down and make weapons out of. Mm. Oh, here you go. This is the that plantation. Constructed in 1821, the Burrow House Plantation Complex contains the oldest and largest collection of high-style, how do you pronounce that? Piste de terre, which is rammed earth in French, buildings in the United States. Six of the 27 dependencies and portions of the main house were constructed using this ancient technique, which was introduced to this country in 1806 through the book Rural Economy by S.W. Johnson. Okay, let's move on, Jason. I think I, I've learned all I can about rammed earth here. Yeah. I mean, we could head straight towards Asia. I see that. But I did say I don't want to try geography. We could go to greenhouse gas emissions. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds more boring. Hard pass. Hard pass on that. Soundproofing. Yeah, I just started recycling. What else do you want? We don't have to do. Did you say you just started recycling? <laughs> I just started recycling like two weeks ago. What else do you want? One step at a time, uh, Los Angeles. Okay. All right. Hey, you can see all these links too. Anything jump out at yeah, you? Yeah, go to the U.S. Agency of International Development. All right. The U.S. Agency of International Development. U.S. Aid. <laughs> yeah, we're giving U.S. AIDS to everybody. <laughs> Man, that does feel like one of those companies that like starts a website that's kind of close to the real thing, like JustinBieber.com, but they change like one letter in Bieber, and everybody ends up there and gets AIDS. Yeah, no, this website definitely looks like it should have a .gov, mm, but it, it they probably doesn't. do. I'm willing to bet it doesn't. All right, the United States Agency for International development. So this is what sounded interesting to you? Yeah. All right. Is an independent agency of the better United than, States. in the fucking ozone layer. Uh, <laughs> God, how many fucking PSAs of that do I have to watch or listen to? Enough is enough. We're going to die. Relax and enjoy it. It's an independent agency of the United States federal government that is primarily responsible for administering civilian foreign aid and development assistance. So it's like welfare for foreign countries. With a budget of over $27 billion, USAID is one of the largest official aid agencies in the world and accounts for more than half of all U.S. foreign assistance, the highest in the world in absolute dollar amounts. 
What do you want to know about it? We got disaster relief, poverty relief, global issues. I want to know how we stop it. You know, uh, charity starts here. Charity starts here or yeah. stops here? No, starts and stops here. What are you like, talking like about? in the U.S. What are you, t- what? We're giving too much money away. Oh, you want to hold it in? Yeah, ho- not hold it in, but use it for us. We got poor people here. Fuck yeah, we do. Well, we could go to the history. I mean, this is a huge article. Uh, so it started before World War II. The realization that early industrializers like the United States could provide technical assistance to other countries' development efforts spread gradually in the late 1800s, leading to a substantial number of visits to other countries by U.S. technical experts, generally with official support by the U.S. government, even when the missions were unofficial. Japan... China, Turkey, and several Latin American countries requested missions on subjects like fiscal management, monetary institutions, election management, mining, schooling, roads, flood control, and urban sanitation. The U.S. government... You know the beauty of it? There's YouTube videos for each and every one of those topics, so... Do you think YouTube is the new U.S. foreign aid? Yeah, it's doing way more for YouTube is <laughs> in doing Latin America. 100% way more for uh, impoverished countries than the US ever will <laughs> or can. The people of Venezuela are like how to overthrow a government and they type it into YouTube. Yeah. Next thing you know, there's a step-by-step tutorial on how to fucking riot. <laughs> yeah. It happened on January 6th here. <laughs> Just hop on Facebook. Um Go to the 2010 Haiti earthquake response. Okay. Let's see how much good we did then. See what happened. Following the January 2010 earthquake in Haiti, USAID helped provide safer housing for almost 200,000 displaced Haitians, supported vaccinations for more than 1 million people, cleared more than 1.3 million cubic meters of approximately 10 million cubic meters of rubble generated helped more than 10,000 farmers double the yields of staples like corn, beans, and sorghum, and provided short-term employment to more than 350,000 Haitians, injecting more than 19 million into the local economy. That actually doesn't seem like that much. 19 million? I wonder I wonder how many uh, Haitians were like, I'm not t- I'm not taking that vaccine. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing because it's almost like, no, there was an earthquake. Right. Why are you giving me a vaccine? Yeah, I'd be more suspicious of that. Of like, wait, the other country with the person that looks nothing like me is trying to give me this dose of what, Chimacallit? Yeah, let me type <laughs> what, Chimacallit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they were doing. Um, Then in Iraq, whoa, we could go to the reconstruction of Iraq. I am... I'm curious what we've been up to over there. Like a phoenix, it shall rise. (laughs) The Saddam Hussein statue just gets relifted up. His mustache gets painted back. Somebody makes it with uh, rammed earth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because you can make a rammed earth statue. I I mean, it's going to be a lot of squares. Yeah. It's not going to look good. It'll be like a Fortnite Saddam Hussein. I was going to say, it'll look like an 8-bit statue. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking... 16-bit statue. I'm thinking of the wrong game. Matt, Fortnite. What's the other game that looks like blocks? Tetris? uh, Minecraft. Tetris works, though. No, Minecraft works better. I don't know your modern Gen Z games. So it'll be like a Minecraft Saddam Hussein. Tetris it is, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, Wait, I just imagined a kid because you know in Minecraft you can like build a whole replica world. And see, that's like, that's Sims. That's Sims just, to me. I just imagined a kid building the Iraq, building the Iraq, and like the the when they tore down the Saddam Hussein statue, like just doing a replica of that. <laughs> okay. Okay, the interaction between U.S. aid and other U.S. government agencies in the period of planning the Iraq operation of 2003 are described by the Office of the Special Inspector General for Iraq Reconstruction in its book, Hard Lessons, the Iraq Reconstruction Experience. Subsequently, U.S. aid played a major role in the, in the USG's reconstruction development effort in Iraq, as of June 2009, USAID had invested approximately $6.6 billion on programs designed to stabilize communities, foster economic and agricultural growth, and build the capacity of the national, local, and provincial governments to represent and respond to the needs of the Iraqi people. $6.6 billion. Now we're talking some numbers. That's a lot. Imagine if instead of invading Iraq... They just put that money into it, but killed Saddam Hussein. Hussein? Hussein, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. That's what his, people started calling him after he accidentally sharded himself. No, he was eating a barbecue sandwich and barbecue <laughs> spilling his shirt. Hey, look at fucking Saddam Hussein over there. Everyone had, that guy died. That guy, that died, guy died right died. away. <laughs> after that incident, he carries like one of those, um, the uh, shower wipes. La- the laundry pens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's HIV prevention. They actually do yeah, HIV. Yeah, go to that. I need that. Do you want to go to HIV prevention? No, let's dig into Iraq some more. Yes. All right. Uh-oh. I like how you're like, I want to get away from the depressing topic of Iraq and go to HIV prevention. Which is more oh, that's positive. depressing. I will say it's preventing positive. HIV. Super depressing. I'm fucking sad about thinking about preventing it. Okay, HIV prevention refers to practices that aim to prevent the spread of HIV. Oh, be him. The first. That's uh, awesome. Pa- that's uh, awesome. Powers who has AIDS. Spot on impression. Oh, be. Wait, Hiv. he's he's, yeah. he's asking for it. Be hip, please. Like, please be hip. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's banging someone out, and he's just like, "Oh, be hip." That is a huge looking condom. I need a dime on there to kind of, for scale. A dime? You need a fucking roll or of quarters. Or a finger? A roll. <laughs> you need, I think, like six rolls of quarters. Wait, are we looking at Magic Johnson's <laughs> condom? No, he didn't use condoms. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, that's the number one. HIV prevention. Don't have sex with Magic Johnson. Ooh, what are the top five HIV preventions? Well, all Methods. right. Sexual contact, condoms, and gels. What are gels? Consist- gels? Like lubricants? Well, I don't know. Let's see. I guess like anti-HIV lube, maybe? Let's find out. Consistent condom use reduces the risk of heterosexual HIV transmission by about 80% over the long term, where one partner of a couple has... HIV infection, consistent condom use results in rates of HIV infection for the uninfected person below 1% per year. Some data support the equivalence of internal condoms to latex condoms, but the evidence is not definitive. As of January 2019, condoms are 
available inside 30% of prisons globally. That's a weird fact to just throw into the middle of this. Hey, they're trying to prevent it. They're trying to prevent it. You know there's going to be some fucking going on in prisons, man. Uh, Yeah. Nonstop. Nonstop? Nonstop. (laughs) And not the fun kind. Well, sometimes it's fun, but not the fun kind most of the time. We could all use a friend around here. Uh, So that 1%, I don't know, man. That's still... Pretty that's, ris- that's pretty risky still. What, I don't know if I'm willing to take those chances, but you get yeah, one white claw in me, and I'm taking those chances. <laughs> that's what's so fucked up about like life. And- yeah, but if you think about how many people in the... Is this in the world? I don't know where this, ter- uh, this um, fact is coming from, but how many people are having sex? But I don't know how they're getting these numbers either. Like, who are they... I guess if a person comes in and they have HIV... Then they say, did you have sex with or without a condom? And then they say, I had a condom. And then they say, you're in the 1%. Damn. That's the and worst 1% like, to be Ah, in. I'm a billionaire and I have HIV? Oh, then that means you don't have HIV. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you have the, <laughs> the cure. So anyway, then there's this use of spermicide nonoxanol 9 may increase the risk of transmission because it causes vaginal and rectal irritation. A vaginal gel containing tenofer... Tenofer Leviot? Yeah, yes, exactly. A reverse transcriptase inhibitor when used immediately before sex was shown to reduce infection rates by roughly 40% among African women. Again, these numbers are very specific. I love how, I mean, it's, it's funny, like, sex is just, like, a must-have. I mean, it's one of our things that we have to have, right? Food, shelter, fuck. Yeah, I think f- food, shelter, then... Fuck, that's third. Mm. Clothing? Maybe. Is that part of shelter? That's, I feel part, like that's of part of shelter. shelter. Yeah, okay. that's part of shelter, that and sunscreen. That all goes with shelter. But I think the sex part is ingrained in us to reproduce. Yeah, I mean, it obviously because it's, you know, we we just love we just love fucking that even with AIDS. Like you would think AIDS-wise we're like, let's chill that. Let's chill on the fucking. I think people chilled a little bit. A little bit. But they started but they, they were like, what can we ev- invent? Right. To still fuck. So now you got things that like work, you know, 40% of the time, 30% of the time, 1% of the time. You got all this. Let's read about Can circumcision here. Can I just here. show you this picture, though? I mean, this dude looks too happy to have HIV. Right? No, I think he just got circumcised. Look, South Africa, one millionth voluntary medical male circumcision. Oh, he looks way too happy to just have his dick cut off. No way. I I was super stoked when I got circumcised. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me about it. I was 12. You were 12? Between 10 and 12. I, no I, way. I, I swear to God. Really? Yes. Come on. I got circumcised later in life. <laughs> no way. I swear. You're a late life super <laughs> circumcision. It was super my... circumcision. That's yeah. when it happens when your dick's bigger. I got a super okay. circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> they had they had to For cut an extra. extra 39 cents. You yeah. can super circumcise me. For an extra 39 <laughs> cents a month. Are you kidding me? They cut more off. Yeah. So look, look what it says right there. Studies conducted in sub-Sahara Africa have found that circumcision reduces the risk of HIV infection in heterosexual men. Between is 36 and 
over two years. Huh, I wonder why that is. Should we go to circumcision? Yeah. Been there, done that. Ah, oh, this looks like a, that looks, oh, man. Hey, so three, yeah. three's a crowd for a circumcision. Yeah, That's... see, if I was there, if I was a kid, I'd be like, all right, Doc, do all these other people have to be here? There's a picture of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven dudes around a child getting circumcised. Oh, this is from circa 1865 to 1872. In that's central- how long that circumcision was? <laughs> yeah, that's a long uh... circumcision. Seven years. That's that's long. Damn. It keeps growing back. Damn. Seven years of, seven years of foreskin. You can count the rings. Circumcision is the removal of foreskin from the human penis. Yeah, that's why I signed up for it. In the most common procedure, the foreskin is extended with forceps, blah, blah, blah. Then a circumcision device may be placed after which the foreskin is excised. Topical or locally injected anesthesia is often used to reduce pain and physiologic stress. The procedure is usually an elective surgery performed on babies and children. Or, Told you it's elective. Yeah, I don't think that is elective. The baby isn't signing off. No, but it's elected by their parents, guardian. Well, ethical and legal questions regarding informed consent and human rights have been raised over the circumcision of babies and children for non-medical reasons. For these reasons, the procedure is controversial. Oh, yeah, I didn't do it for medical reasons. Oh, Mine. here's the part about... Oh, you did it for... Recreational. For what? Recreational purposes, not medical. Oh, <laughs> it's a recreational circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, I'm gonna go do some fucking. And all. The- <laughs> I need a nice clean cut. Give me a, a little bit off the top. Oh man, yeah. Give me a nice fade. Give me a nice fade. Come on, man. Male circumcision reduces the risk of HIV infection among heterosexual men in sub-Saharan Africa. Wait, not oh, around the sa- world? Oh, fuck. So I should move to South Sahara, Africa, so my chances will lower? Wait, I'm I'm confused why. I wish it told me why. Can we look here? Let's see. Technique. Removal of foreskin. Click on that. Where is it? Oh. Ah, come on. Geez. Yeah, dude. You clicked on it. <laughs> you took me right down to the dick pics. Uh, for infant circumcision, devices such as the Gomco clamp... I like how they have a before and after. <laughs> I wish I should have taken a before and after. <laughs> People love a before and after on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, uh, how it started. How it's... <laughs> what is it? How it started. How it's going. How it's going. <laughs> it's just like, how it started. It's my uncircumcised penis. <laughs> um, and then uh, how it's going. It's like my penis at a party. Okay, wine. there there are different ways, but I want to go to circumcision and HIV because that's what I'm trying to find out about. Okay. So I'm clicking yeah. on it. You did some hard, hard research on it? Yes. In the context of high-risk populations, male circumcision has been shown to reduce the risk of HIV from HIV plus women to men. In 20... Ooh, I don't have HIV+. Plus. Yeah, what is, is that? Is that a subscription-based? Yeah, it opens up more of the movies <laughs> about HIV. Different series? Yeah, like Kids or Rent. Wow, okay. Uh, You've never seen the movie Kids? No, nah, I haven't seen it's Kids. It's about AIDS, I believe. Mm. I thought seen... it was about kids. You've seen Rent. 
No, I haven't seen Rent either. I can't. Uh, I can't get into musicals, I think that's also, man. I think that's also AIDS based. AIDS based entertainment. Yeah, I did see. Do you listen to AIDS I did see base? Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, a more you know current day AIDS based entertainment. In addition to the Los Angeles layers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the it's the base of AIDS. Yeah. Circumcision reduces the risk that a man will acquire HIV and other sexually transmitted infections from an infected female partner through vaginal sex. Okay, so the effect So it's true you can only get HIV through an infected female partner, right? No, I don't think that no, I don't want to say those facts on the podcast. These are Jason facts. He's a cold hard Wikipedia facts, folks. The effectiveness of using circumcision to prevent HIV in the developed world is unclear. Why, though? Just, hey, just let it happen. It's Regional a phenomenon and be happy for it. Just let's keep moving on. Whether circumcision is beneficial to developed countries for HIV prevention uh, purposes is undetermined. It is not known whether the effect of male circumcision differs by HIV-1 variant. Okay, so there's different variants. The predominant subtype of HIV-1 in the United States is subtype B, and in Africa, the predominant subtypes are A, C, and D. Uh, I'll choose all of the above. Ooh, I'll have, uh, I'll have the AIDS vowel. <laughs> okay, so let's move on here. I think we've covered enough about dicks and AIDS, right? Yeah. We really I mean, got I'm comfortable. I'm full. Now we really got to get moving to uh where are we trying to go? The Battle of Tsushima. Sh- Sh- Tsushima. I might have put us in a hole here. Yeah, like an HIV hole? An HIV hole, yeah. We could go to the developed world and we c- I know I don't want to do it, but we could get to Russia and Japan pretty quickly, I think. Or how about who? We can go to health we, well, we covered that on a okay. recent right, episode. So. Developed world. All right, we're on the developed world. A developed country is a sovereign state that has a high quality of life. Oh, let's go to quality of life. Okay. And I bet we can oh, get to... It's, yes. it's uh, abbreviated as a, a QOL. According to Britannica. Well, isn't that another... Wait, Encyclopedia? Can, can Wikipedia reference Oh, Britannica? I don't like this. According to Britannica, is the degree to which an individual is healthy, comfortable, and able to participate in or enjoy life events. Again, I, I like I like how it's like you can just either participate or enjoy it. You don't, you don't have to enjoy it. You can also just participate. Just if you're there, you get a participation trophy. Yeah. The one approach called Engage Theory outlined in the Journal of Applied Research in the Quality of Life posits for four for domains in assessing quality of life, ecology, economics, politics, and culture. In the domain of culture, for example, it includes the following subdomains of quality of life, beliefs and ideas, creativity and recreation. Uh, You know, you can check this out a little bit more if you want. But there's a whole list: well-being and health. Oh, oh go boy. to happiness. You want me to click on happiness? Yeah, happiness. Oh, look how happy that dude is. Okay, this is we're broad now. The term, yeah, but we're gonna find happiness. Like I feel like we're gonna head straight into Japan because you know how there's people who are not happy and they jump off buildings over there in Japan. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know that. Because I, I mean, from what I, from, from what I've heard. <laughs> 
you know, the streets talk and what I've heard is the that street, over, the Japanese streets talk, the over, Yakuza are like over in Japan. People keep jumping off buildings. They're pushing them, Jason. Well, no, it's like because they're overworked. They're just like right, right. life is just work. No, you know, you work hard, no play. Jack's going to be uh, a Japanese boy, a Japanese doll boy. <laughs> All right. The term happiness. Now, I've heard Japanese women, though, are very happy. When yeah, they're older, know. anyway. What? Because why? Because because I think they have a society that encourages friendships, so they have long-lasting friendships into their eighties and nineties, and that's it. That gives you a reason to stay alive. Remember, on a previous episode, we did the five regrets of the dying. I and was just thinking about that. Yeah, one of them was staying in contact, staying contact with contact your friends, with friends, and I bet the Japanese people are very staying happy that they stay in contact. contact. Yeah. yeah. So the term happiness is used in the context of mental, or we all know what happiness is, right? Since the 1960s, happiness research has been conducted in a wide variety of scientific disciplines, including gender, a word I can't pronounce, social psychology and positive psychology, clinical and medical research, and happiness economics. I am curious what happiness economics is, but that might be an article for another day. Yeah, my doctor told me I was clinically happy. I believe it. Yeah. Sometimes you're too happy. He was like, we got a problem here. <laughs> I was like, wait, what we do? We just cut his dick off and he's <laughs> grinning ear to ear, two thumbs up. <laughs> I gave that circumcision a 15 out of 15. <laughs> this circumcision has legs. Actually, 14 out of 15. Can I be honest? I wish I would have kept it. I wish they would have just given to me in the jar. In a little jar? Yeah. Mm. Or I would actually like preserve it, maybe plate it of some metal. And yeah. Then, like, hang. Because that, you know me, I'm not a jewelry kind of guy. Plate it. I thought you meant plate it like uh, for a meal. No. <laughs> <laughs> a nice au jus drizzled over top of your foreskin. Are you kidding? My body wouldn't be able to handle that amount of protein. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. No, I would plate it somehow, probably gold. And, uh, you know, put it on a necklace or something. Got you know it. me? I'm not kinda a jewelry like kind of guy. Kind of like dipping dipping baby shoes in gold or something. Yeah. A little bit like that. Okay, so this is a huge article again, but we could go to culture, which might take us down to Japanese, but we could also, if that doesn't work, we could go to Eastern religions, and I'm sure we could Real get Real quick, to- I just want to get to negative effects of what? happiness. Negative effects? All right, I'm going to go down to- Negative effects of happiness. I like how it's like one sentence. (laughs) June Gruber has argued that happiness may have negative effects. It may trigger a person to be more sensitive, more gullible, less successful, and more likely to undertake high-risk behaviors. I'm clicking on June Gruber real quick. The saddest man alive. I want to see this guy. This fucking anti-happy motherfucker. He's a licensed clinical psychologist whose research focuses on the positive affectivity and disturbances involving positive emotion, for example, as experienced by people with bipolar disorder. She is an associate professor of psychology, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, too much of anything is not good. Well, that's what they say about like social media and uh, just technology now. We're always chasing highs now and we don't have as many lows and you, it's important to wean yourself off your phone for a bit so you can experience less dopamine and get that boost later on. Or say experience less dopamine so you can be okay with experiencing less dopamine. So you're Exactly, not, like, yeah. Right. You got to be happy about feeling sad. 
Oh, methods for achieving happiness. Now I'm curious about that. Wow, we got to visit this article another day. But you want to go to culture? Yeah. Oh, look how happy this Tibetan monk is. Super happy. Personal happiness uh, aims can be affected by cultural factors. Hedonism appears to be more strongly related to happiness in more individualistic cultures. Is it hedonism, isn't that what... That's I mean, when you're that like, like... Do whatever you are, Banging you want, everyone. Just, right? Getting, like, all pleasure is good. Getting HIV, giving HIV. Like, anything that feels pleasurable is right. okay and it's good or something, right? Yeah, I Ish. think so. Yeah. Cultural views That's on... That's cool. I'm in. <laughs> cultural views on happiness have changed over time. For instance, Western concern about childhood being a time of happiness has occurred only since the 19th century. Not all cultures seek to maximize happiness, and some cultures are averse to happiness. Okay, well, that wasn't that didn't take us to anything, but we could go to Eastern religions here, and that that's getting us right into the heart of Japan, I think, right? What Eastern? Yeah, isn't Buddhism pretty popular in Japan? I think so. I don't think so at all. I believe so, yeah. Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're probably right. All right, happiness forms a central theme of Buddhist teachings. I'm going to go to Buddhist teachings. Wait, wait, I thought we're going... Oh, yeah, okay, Buddhist, yeah. No no good? No, that's fine. All right. Or, let's see. Buddhist, please. (laughs) Hey, man, you were pushing me away from Buddhism. Okay, Buddhism is an Indian religion and philosophy based on a series of... We covered Buddhism before. Let's roll down here. What about... What do they call the temples? Late Indian Buddhism. Sexual abuse and misconduct. Let's go to that. Whoa, where's that? 9.4. Ah, jeez. We can't cover the... That will ruin my image of Buddhism. But I feel like every major religion has had some sexual abuse. The Catholics were just the best at it. They're the best at it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll say the worst at it? Yeah. <laughs> the only right. thing that was good about them was their uh, their PR, if anything, for the longest time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. All right. Spread to East Asia and Southeast Asia. The Silk Road transmission of Buddhism to China is most commonly thought to have started in the late 2nd or 1st century CE, Though the literary sources are all open to question, the first documented blah, 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 so it went to China. Let's see. I feel like we can find Japan right in here somewhere, right? I feel like monks are not from Japan at all. I went to a bunch of temples when I was in Japan. Who was praying at those temples? They're known for their meditation. Samurais? Oh, wait. Monasteries and temples. Buddhist institutions are often housed and centered around monasteries and temples. Buddhist monas... Uh, I'm just... Uh, in Japanese Buddhist temples. I'm clicking on Japanese Buddhist temples. All right, here we go. Now we're in there, Jason. We're in it, we're in it now. Buddhist temples or Buddhist monasteries together with Shinto shrines are considered to be amongst the most numerous, famous, and important religions, religious buildings in Japan. They are amazing over there. I bet they look fucking awesome. I'm, I, I didn't want to do it, but I clicked on Japan. Uh, Japan is an island country in East Asia, located in the Northwest Pacific Ocean. It is bordered. So do you know what sea... The battle took place on? Uh, yeah, the one between them and Russia. 
Oh, what battle or what sea is that? We're already in Japan. Why don't we go to history? All right, I'll go to history. Arg, matey. Yeah. <laughs> I shall. So it, I guess that'd be the modern era, probably, right? Yes, yeah. it's 19. It's okay. Here Although we go. Although it might be, ju- actually, it might, no, it's it might modern. be the last thing before modern or. No, it's modern because I think when, uh, here you go, when yep. Commodore Perry showed up in the uh, Bay of Japan or whatever. What's Commodore again? I would lo- I, if we can bring that back, I would love to be. You want to be a Commodore? Yeah. You're a Commodore. Am I? Yeah, oh, Commodore. Fuck, <laughs> You're the Commodore in WikiU. Damn, dude, that's great. Ever since uh, ever since I uh, gave up my, my, uh, my what's it called, my foreskin, I've always been wanting to be a Commodore. That's the little decoration on the hat of a Commodore. It's the foreskin. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Jason, we are. I see the Russo Japanese War here. So I could click on that. Or I wonder if the actual. I don't see the actual battle in this. But in 1954, Commodore Matthew Perry and the quote unquote black ships of the United States Navy. Oh, black ships. Pretty cool. Forced the opening of Japan to the outside world. With the convention of Kanagawa, subsequent similar treaties with other Western countries brought economic and political crises. The resignation of the shogun led to the Bashan War and the establishment of a centralized state nominally unified under the emperor, adopting Western political blah, blah, blah. The f- Oh, whoa. After victories in the First Sino-Japanese War and the Russo-Japanese War, Japan gained control of Taiwan, Korea, and the southern half of Sakhalin. Oh, There's no way I'm pronouncing that right. Shit. But I didn't know they had Korea for a little bit. Did not know. I bet they lost it in the World Korean... War II. Oh, yeah, no, that was after. That would be my guess, but I don't know. The Japanese population doubled from 35 million in 1873 to 70 million by 1935 wow with a yeah people be fucking with a significant shift to urbanization well i don't think aids existed so do you want me to go to russo japanese war let's do it because there's got to be something look at this old tugboat thing yeah all right the russo japanese war was fought between the Empire of Japan and the Russian Empire during 1904 and 1905 over rival imperial ambitions in Manchuria and Korea. The major theaters of military operations were the Liadong Peninsula and Mukden in southern Manchuria and the seas around Korea, Japan, and the Yellow Sea. Russia saw a warm water port on the Pacific Ocean, both for its navy and maritime trade. Oh boy, what's this word? Vladivostok remained ice-free and operational only during the summer. Port Arthur, a naval base in Liaodong Province leased to Russia by the Qing Dynasty of China from 1897, was operational year-round. Okay, so that's what it was fought over. Let's find this, this freaking battle. Oh, go up, go up a little bit. Hold on. You see it? No, but I just want to read. It seems oh. interesting. Seeing Russia as a rival, Japan offered to recognize Russian dominance in Manchuria and exchange in exchange for recognition of Korea being within the Japanese sphere of influence. Ooh, influencers! Mm. 
Russia refused and demanded the establishment of a neutral buffer zone between Russia and Japan in Korea north of the 39th parallel. The Japanese government perceived a threat to their plans for expansion into mainland Asia and sorry, I lost and chose not to go to war and chose not to go to war. After negotiations broke down in 1904, the Japanese Navy opened hostilities in surprise attack. Ooh, they love surprise attacks. The Japanese, they do love surprise. surprise. I bet they have the best surprise parties. Yo, Halloween in Japan. Oh my, that's scary. Spooky season in Japan. Yo, imagine having a surprise birthday party in Japan, though. That's fucking wild, I bet, man. They are good with surprises. They go all out. God, they f- yeah, they probably surprise you at seven in the morning <laughs> uh, on December seventh. Yeah, specifically. Um, so uh, let's see. Oh, 1904 by oh uh, the a surprise attack on January on February 9th, 1904 by attacking the Russian Eastern Fleet of Port Arthur, China. Mm. Damn, so they're like. You know, you got to respect you got to respect the Japanese for being like, you know, like fucking like they they throw the first punch. To be fair, what the hell was Russia doing down in China? Get out of there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, they're up to no good. Yeah. I'm with Japan on this one, just based on my very little research here. Yeah, Team Japan for sure. All right, keep going down. All right. Do you want to just find this battle? Oh, I've heard of the Boxer Rebellion. Oh, the Battle of Tsushima. <laughs> all right, I'm going to the article, but it does sound like an all-you-can-eat. Uh, not all-you-can-eat, but like kind of like, uh, the, like Nathan's the main battle hot of Tsushima. Battle of Tsushima. It's like you versus sushi. It sounds like a food contest, like a sushi eating contest. I would agree if I didn't spend uh, ten plus hours in Tsushima in a digital world. <laughs> well, I know that world well, and believe me, dude, it's not a sushi eating contest. We should host a wiki you sushi eating contest called the Battle of Tsushima. I'd be down for that. You want to go to like uh, what's Wegman's over here? That they have sushi. Or we could actually go to a sushi place. Yeah, we could go to a sushi place. All right. The Battle of Tsushima, also known as the Battle of Tsushima Strait and the Naval Battle of the Sea of Japan, was a major naval battle fought between Russia and Japan during the Russo-Japanese War. We talked about how uh, wireless telegraphy, telegraphy? How do you pronounce it? Wireless tilapia. It's just one of the many dishes that you can get at Beverly Gills. Beverly Gills, yeah, exactly. Wireless. Can I, can I read something that's interesting to me? Yeah. So it's, it has to do with the battleships and stuff. So prior to, prior to the Russo-Japanese War, countries constructed their battleships with mixed batteries of mainly 6-inch, 8-inch, 10-inch, 12-inch guns with the intent that these battleship, that these battleship fight on the battle line in the closed quarters decisive fleet action. The Battle of Tsushima conclusively demonstrated that battleship speed and big guns with longer ranges were more advantageous in naval battles than mixed batteries of a different size. Mm. So meaning what? Meaning it used to have like what? Little, like one ship would have not long target guns or what? Yeah, well, like I'm, cannons I'm guessing it, it's kind of like the transition from, well, to quote an, or to reference another Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, where they're fighting in battlefields, close combat and just shooting at each other. Everyone gets 
fucked up, essentially. Right. right. And it's kind of a crapshoot of who wins. So gotcha. I think that is how I looked at it too. It's funny you say the Patriot because right. that's what I was. Thinking. And I think this is the naval version of that, where it's like the guns. Hey guys, I don't think this is working anymore. <laughs> right, like that. Guy. Both our ships sunk. Yeah, <laughs> we're all sea pirates now. Quick, what's on the radio? Um. So anyway, I think because they could also maneuver better. Probably, and the range of the guns were better that they they moved on. They were like time for some new tactics. So, and that's where the game ba- uh, game battleship comes from, right? Because the long targets. Di- I'm guessing they went up and then down. Oh, like down, they got some like trajectory. Straight, right. It wasn't like straight. They got some hang time on those missiles. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't I like would a say shot. it's more it's more propulsion. A little up. I don't know how up. I'm, I'm, I'm getting up. <laughs> Whoa. Jason, you like this battle too much. Just thinking about war gets me all sized up. So I don't really care about the background of this. Yeah, no, give me some aftermath. I'm curious about the tactics, like what they were thinking. Oh, whoa, it went into the night. This would probably be a good movie. This is a big battle. Whew. All right. Let's go to naval tactics real quick, and then we. But battles go. usually end for more. I mean, usually last for more than one day. You seem surprised that this battle went day and night. I feel like battles can go on for weeks. Yeah, but I I think when these these like close combat ones didn't use. I mean, I don't know. Oh, that's but true. I yeah. you know no, I, I bet a lot you. of times p- some ship got screwed up yeah. and they they're sinking, so they got to surrender. Based off of master and commander, right. that's all I know. That's my my battleship knowledge comes from that. Okay, here's the naval tactics. Battleships, cruisers, and other vessels were arranged into divisions, each division being commanded by a flag officer or an admiral. At the Battle of Tsushima, Admiral Togo was the first commanding in the battleship Mikasa. Hey, Mikasa's Yukasa. <laughs> that, that was his motto. Uh, next in line after... My ship is your ship. Mikasa... <laughs> I am the captain now. Next in line after Mikasa came the battleships. Um, following them were two armored cruisers. Boy, you really got to know your ships to understand this, I guess. Oh, so turning in sequence meant that each ship would turn one after another whilst still following the ship in front. Effectively, each vessel would turn over the same piece of sea Togo could have ordered his ships to turn together. That is, each ship would have made the turn at the same time and reverse course. This maneuver, the same one affected by the French-Spanish fleet at Trafalgar, would be quicker but would have disrupted the sequence of the battle line and caused confusion by altering the battle plans and placing the cruisers in the lead. This was something Togo wished to avoid. Okay. Do you get that? uh, Yeah, it's like uh, the battleships are doing like synchronized swimming and they have to stay in line like an army. Like, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, trooping. um, What is it? What do I want to say? Like trooping? Marching? Marching. Like marching and, you know, yeah. Whereas if everyone turns, then they're all facing the same way instead of in line. But I wonder if if you're in line, the first guy's dead. You got the second guy in line. They're ready to, you know. Yeah. Pumped, locked, cocked, and ready to rock, baby. Oh, boy. (laughs) And then that guy died, and he will. Then you got the third one up. Now, I wonder if you could use that tactic, though, 
as a diversion. Like they think you're turning and then like someone doesn't turn. Yeah. You do a little loop-de-loop around the backside. Ooh, now now em. you're surround flank, flank em. Em. Yeah. yeah. Flank them. Yeah. Flank them. Yeah. That probably happened after this battle. <laughs> they were oh, like, yeah. what if we do some flanking? Flanking D. Roosevelt over here. Now, I know you're getting hungry, so let's move on. That's flank steak. I knew it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First contact. Because the Russians desired to slip undetected into Vladivostok, as they approached Japanese waters, they steered outside regular shipping channels to reduce the chance of detection. Yeah, the ocean's big. On the night of 26th, 27th May 1905, the Russian fleet approached the Tsushima Strait. In the night, thick fog blanketed the straits, giving the Russians an advantage. At 2.45 Japanese Standard Time, JST, the Japanese auxiliary cruiser... I used used to be called Thick Fog. That was a weird month in high school for you, I bet. Yeah, because it lasted through college. Uh, Some Japanese cruiser observed three lights on what appeared to be a vessel on the distant horizon. They didn't turn the lights off? Come on, and close to investigate. These lights were from the Russian hospital ship... Orel, which, in compliance with the rules of war, had continued to burn them. Come on. I mean, the rules of war? By definition, you're at war. Turn the rules off. No, the rules of war is what keeps us separated from the animals, man. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Well, there needs to be structure in this chaos. So at 4.30 a.m., the Shinano Maru approached the vessel, noting that she carried no guns and appeared to be an auxiliary. The Oral mistook the Shinanumaru for another Russian vessel and did not attempt to notify the fleet. Instead, she signaled to inform the Japanese ship that there were other Russians nearby, <laughs> other Russian vessels nearby. Uh, so then the Japanese uh, sighted the shapes of 10 other Russian ships in the mist. Wow. The Russian fleet had been discovered, and any chance of reaching Vladiz- Vladivostok undetected had disappeared here's the wireless telegraphy uh it played an important role from the start at 4:45, a japanese captain sent a message to admiral togo who was you know in line oh and said enemy in square 203 so they just have maps and they got a bunch of different squares on the map i assume and they go like battleship yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the Japanese were like, battleships sunk. By 5 a.m., intercepted radio signals informed the Russians that they had been discovered and that Japanese scouting cruisers were shadowing them. Admiral Togo received this message at 5.05 and immediately began to prepare prepare his battle fleet for a, what's this, a sortie? Battle for a battle? For a sortie. That's Japanese for battle. Is it? Yeah. All right. Um, geez, we could go through every single part of this, but what, do you want to go to the beginning of the battle and find out, you know, first strike and then maybe wrap it up with... No, I say let's wrap it up with, like, how did it end? No, how did it end? Okay. I don't even know who won. All right. I thought, for, I thought the Japanese won. Here's the beginning of the battle. At 6.34 a.m., before departing with the combined fleet, Admiral Togo wired a confident message to the Navy minister in Tokyo. In response to the warning that enemy ships have been sighted, the combined fleet will immediately commence action and attempt to attack and destroy them. Weather today, fine, but high waves. He didn't mention the fog. 
I like how he Too thick. he he mentions the weather. It's a nice day for a battle. It's good High day. waves, but you know. Hey man, it's people right. like that, yeah, they're always like taking a big, big whiff and being. It's a good day to die. He, he's still keeping the classic like workplace small talk about the weather. Yeah, he's yeah. like, we're going into battle, but. Because yeah, pretty nice day out. Because sometimes you know how you feel t- too embarrassed that your email is like too short. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. It's like he's kind of like, well, you know, it's, this telegram was a little light. I'm like, surprised he didn't throw in a couple exclamation points to seem more excited than he actually. Yeah, was. like an emoji or something. <laughs> yeah, right. The final sentence of his telegram has become famous in Japanese military history Ooh. and has been quoted by former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Weather today fine, but high waves. At the same time, the entire Japanese fleet put to sea with Togo in his flagship Mikasa leading over 40 vessels to meet the Russians. Meanwhile, the shadowing Japanese scouting vessels sent wireless reports every few minutes as to the formation and course of the Russian fleet. There was mist which reduced visibility, and the weather was poor. Oh, so the weather was not fine. He lied. Wireless gave the Japanese an advantage. In his report on the battle, Admiral Togo noted the following. Though a heavy fog covered the sea, making it impossible to observe anything at a distance of over five miles, all the conditions of the enemy were as clear to us, who were 30 or 40 miles distant, as though they had been under our very eyes. And that's how the wireless technology came into play so real quick this you talked about some uh sentence that they said that was famous what, that what, was what the was weather it? today fine but high waves the final it? sentence of the telegram yeah i don't think that's it i thought it was this one the empire's fate depends on the result of this battle let every man do its uh, do his utmost duty that sounds way better where do than, you see that that sounds way better than weather today fine but high waves I don't think it's that. Well, hey, I'm just reading the final sentence of this But this telegram. isn't the telegram. The telegram isn't in response to the warning that enemy ships have been sighted. The combined fleet will immediately... Is it? I don't... I mean, I agree with you. The Empire's fate depends on the result of this battle, but Japan hasn't been in battle in years, and Shinzo Abe is a pretty recent prime minister. I don't know. We got to do some more research on because i like i mean to me that's a fucking tattoo right there the empire's fate depends on the result of this battle let every man do his utmost duty fuck yeah that goes a little hard (laughs) but i wouldn't i wouldn't get weather today fine but high waves (laughs) i wouldn't get that you know you don't get excited about that nah not getting that tattoo a lot of people don't know this but japan is a huge surfing country it just sounds like weather today, high waves tomorrow. It sounds like a motto almost for like, I don't know, an ocean. Well, hey, I'm just going in order here of what it seemed like, but I agree with you. It does seem like. So who won? Let's get down to the nitty gritty. All I right. don't even know who like. It looks like based off of this heading, Russian surrender. Damn, sounds like that's... the Russians surrendered. That's that's. Ah, their self-esteem took a hit. They're not the surrendering no, type. No, they're not. So you know they were Oof. pretty effed up. Holding During the grudge. night action, Togo had deployed his torpedo boat destroyers to destroy any remaining enemy vessels. Yeah, he did. Chase down any fleeing warships. So there were warships kind of surrendering. I mean, they were running away, and he's like, ah, 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 ah. come 
on back over here. And then consolidate his Isn't heavy that units. rules of war? No, if they don't surrender, you can... Oh, you're right. I you're think right, you can yeah. chase. You can give chase. Yeah, I don't... We, no, we it's can, been a while since I've read the rules of war. We could click on the rules of war, but I bet it is lengthy. So on at 9.30 on May 28th, what remained of the Russian fleet was sighted heading northwards. Togo's battleships proceeded to surround... Uh, the Russian captain's remaining squadron south of the island of Takashima and commenced main battery fire at 12,000 meters. Realizing that his guns were outranged by at least 1,000 meters and that he could be destroyed at Togo's leisure, Nebogatov, who was the Russian guy, ordered the six ships remaining under his command to surrender. XGE an international signal of surrender was hoisted. However, the Japanese Navy continued to fire as they did not have, quote-unquote, surrender in their code books. Yo, you think the Russians are hard to surrender? Japan doesn't even have... Like, they can't even comprehend that. What What is is this word, surrender? Why are they on their knees? (laughs) What? (laughs) What's that? Why is there a white handkerchief? This makes no sense. They had no, they had no, no, <laughs> no code. symbol, no code, nothing could be like explain to them what like surrendering means. Yeah, damn, so much. The universal code, except in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so they did not have Fucking surrender crazy. in their code books and had to hastily find one that did. So they're looking through other code books, like what's this XGE thing? Keep firing while we look this up. Yeah. Let me Google up, like, this. Yeah, some like some. old liberal notebook uh still under heavy fire the russian captain then ordered white tablecloth sent up the mastheads but togo having had a chinese warship escape him while flying that flag during the 1984 war did not trust them ah leave it to the chinese to fly a surrender flag and keep shooting Mm. Moreover, his lieutenants found the codebook that included XGE signal and reported that stopping of engines is a requirement for the signal to mean surrender, so he continued firing the main batteries. The Russian cruiser uh, then lowered her XGE flags and attempted to flee. Running out of options and realizing about the requirement, Uh, The Russian captain ordered the Imperial Japanese Navy flag up the mastheads and all engines stopped. So he's like, this is your boat now. You guys can have it. Yeah. Keep it. It's good they had a Japanese flag on their boat. That was probably on purpose, too. Yeah, maybe they had to be like, these are the flags we're trying to shoot at. Well, no, I'm saying like (laughs) it's like uh, pretending to be them, pretending to be. Oh, yeah, maybe. You know, the team. Yeah. When Japanese flags began showing up in 12-inch gun range finders, Togo gave the ceasefire and accepted the Russian captain's surrender. Uh, He surrendered knowing that he could be shot for doing so. He said to his men, You are young, and it is you who will one day retrieve the honor and glory of the Russian Navy. The lives of the 2,400 men in these ships are more important than mine. Oh, wow. Damn, okay. And that's that's it, man. Okay, I mean, Drago. I fucking respect that, you know. There's a lot more go in this article, but, you know, that's what happened. 
All right, we did it. We went from... I knew it. What the hell? Uh, earth pounding. What was mine called? Tempered earth. <laughs> Close. Tempered earth. That sounds like it should be the name it's of a band. Tam tamped earth. Tamped earth houses. Earth battering. Earth uh, wow. smashing. How quickly Something, we forget. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a great topic. So. I think it was pretty interesting, personally. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to build using that. It was all right. I mean, we yeah, go for it. It's pretty crazy. We went to this battle and dabbled in AIDS, circumcision. We really made yeah. our way around. By the way, everyone should dabble. Rammed Earth to the Battle of Tsushima. Rammed Earth, yeah. Hey, man. We did it, baby. Once again, I had no doubt uh, in my mind. Guys, please follow us and uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and keep listening and keep spreading the word. Follow us at Wiki University. Sure. If you on want to. Instagram. All right. Yeah, keep spreading the word. Keep keep spreading. Keep spreading. Go Greek, keep spreading. Wear a condom. Go Greek. Bye. You don't need to if you go Greek. <laughs> <laughs>